I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast contains explicit language. Welcome back to Candidate Confessional, the podcast that is gradually making its way out of the middle of the iTunes rankings and more towards... Top third. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, my cousins talk about it. I'm running out of family members to pitch this to. My cousins, I, I wanted you to feel better. Oh, they don't really talk disheartening. about it. Anyways, moving on. This show, I, I have a question, basically, for you and the audience. I was thinking about this as we sort of interviewed all these people who have run for office and fallen short. If you're a candidate and you put your heart and your soul and even your money into an election, what would be, like, the most excruciating way to lose it? I mean, my immediate thought is Rick Perry. His oops oops moment has trailed him for years now. I mean, he was branded an idiot. That's a really good call. I was going to go with, like, if you're arrested in some sort of campaign finance scandal, that doesn't kind of, like, gel with your life goals, you know? That or a sex scandal. Oh, Anthony Weiner. Well, that's more of a sex than a sex scandal. (laughs) Good point. So, anyways, absent personal embarrassment and being thrown behind bars, I think that the most excruciating way to lose would be to come up by, like, a handful of votes short. You're right. I agree on that one. You work, you know, for months and months and months waiting for this great election night, and then it inevitably will drag on into a recount and lawyers and sort of the... There's this whole thing that you're sort of not... There's no finality to it. And you're not prepared for that. Exactly. So that brings us to our special guest. We have, on this podcast, former Vice President of the United States, Al... Gore. Yes, I knew that he'd respond to your emails. Okay, he no? didn't respond to my Shit. emails. I'm okay. sorry. We have on this podcast Carl Castle. Wait, the guy from NPR, he ran for something? No, no, no. Not the, not the I M- would vote for him. I know, but not the NPR guy. We got Carl Castle from Alaska, who in 2008 ran for the State House. Now, he ended up being on the wrong end of one of the closest elections in American history. And it didn't all turn out so badly. He's not the mayor of Fay Ranks, and he's a really cool guy. He talked to us for about, you know, an hour. And he reflected on those long nights and the second guessing and all the internal regrets that come when you lose an election by a mere four votes. I told my campaign manager, let's be damn sure that they count these right. Beyond the bluster. Behind the bunting. Past the posters. After the ads. The campaign picks up. And the motorcade moves on. What happens when the votes are counted? And democracy doesn't go your way. This is Candidate Confessional, a HuffPost podcast. I'm Sam Stun. (laughs) Actually, I'm Sam Stun. And I'm Jason Cherkis. And we approve this podcast. I was I was reading up on you and I was 
really fascinated by the story about how you actually got to Alaska. Uh, you're from New York, correct? Yes, I am. Well, tell us the story about how someone travels all that way across not just our country but Canada to get to Alaska. <laughs> well, I had just graduated from college, and a friend that I had been working summer jobs with um, was a student at UAF, and he, UAF is University of Alaska Fairbanks, um, and so he asked if I was interested in driving to Fairbanks with him. He had bought a new pickup truck and was hauling a bunch of gear up from Rochester, New York, uh, back to school to finish his uh, career at UAF. And I thought, gee, you know, I didn't really have anything pressing booked this <laughs> summer, so I thought, yeah, okay, um, you know, I had always wanted to come to Alaska. It was sort of one of those bucket list items so i said okay i'll i'll give you a hand and, and drive it was a free trip so um came up here with him and uh fell in love with the place pretty quickly the people here uh are incredible it's a really different environment not only the physical environment but uh the social environment and the nature of the people um strong-willed and independent and honest for the most part and um very enjoyable being here. So I never left. <laughs> Came here for vacation, and, and I'm still vacationing 40 years later. Was there ever a light bulb moment when you realized you wanted to run for public office or be a public servant? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's really how I got into this is a, is a little bit of a bizarre story. I had been working as the director of the Parks and Rec Department for the Fairbanks North Star Borough, and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with our government system where we have boroughs and not counties here in Alaska. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I was the Parks and Rec Director, and I retired, and I was planning on a trip around the lower 48 with my wife and son, and I was packing the truck to leave this was in may of 2008 and my phone rang and so i foolishly answered my phone i might not have if i had known who it was but it was um one of the leaders in the local democratic party and he said carl we would like to mount a pretty serious campaign against the republican candidate for state house in your district and i was wondering if you might be able to help us and I wasn't too enamored with this particular individual. I wasn't a Democrat. I was an independent, and I uh, have been an independent for most of my years in Alaska. I was a Republican, actually, before that. Uh, but anyway, um, I wasn't too pleased with this particular Republican candidate, and I said, yeah, I'd be glad to help you out. What, you know, what would you like me to do? And he said, well, we'd like you to run against him. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, wait a second. You know, I mean, I've never run for public office. I've never even thought about running for public office. Uh, and I'm not a Democrat. And I said, I'm in independent. And, and although I don't like that particular candidate, you know, I, you would, I would assume you would like a Democrat to run against him since you're the Democratic Party. And he said, well, you can become a Democrat, so that's easily resolved, and we know you, and we like the way you think, and we'd like you to run, you know, give us serious consideration. And I said, well, 
wow, that's a lot to think about. And uh, I said, actually, I'm leaving in mere minutes. My truck is almost loaded, and we're traveling around the lower 48 for some undetermined amount of time, at least a month, if not two months. And I said, it's already May. The you know, the election's in the fall. That doesn't give us too much time by the time I come back to put something together. And he said, not to worry. You know, he said, we, we'll help you. And uh, I said, well... Let me think about it. Well, it was actually even a little more bizarre than that because the filing deadline was only uh, about two weeks out from this phone call. And I said, I'm not going to be here. Uh, you know, I'm leaving immediately, and I'm not going to be here to be able to file the paperwork. And so um, it was Scott Kawasaki, who's a state house uh, representative, um, was the person I was talking to. And Scott said, come on down to my office fill out the paperwork, and I'll hang on to it. And he said, I will file it if you tell me to do so, or I will shred it if you tell me not. And so on our way out of town, we stopped by his office, and I filled out the filing paperwork required and left it with him and then left town. And it took us about a week to decide, which is about how long it took to drive to the lower 48. And when we got there, um, we had decided with much encouragement from my wife and my uh, son that I should do this. And so I talked to Scott and said, go ahead and file the paperwork. You've decided on this road trip that you're going to you're gonna take the plunge. You're going to run for the state house. You have your guy file the paperwork for you. You get back. What, how long was that trip? Uh, about seven weeks. Okay, so you get back about seven weeks after you've gone and you take a look at the landscape. And what do you think? What's your, what do you envision as the best case scenario? What do you envision as some of the hurdles you have to overcome? And what are your first impressions of the campaign trail? My first impressions were we had a pretty tall mountain to climb. The incumbent was uh, very well entrenched in the Republican Party with huge financial support. Um, and a well-organized political machine behind him. Uh, he is from a family that has been involved in politics, so everybody assumed that he was a shoe-in and, and unbeatable. I, I got to ask, I mean, you know, you're not a politician, and it seemed like a lot of your motivation was your dislike of this, this opponent. What was What was he like? I mean, you, you sort of describe him as sort of this entrenched, almost like a bully figure. What, what was he like? Um, he was a bully. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was uh, very arrogant, uh, and he had made a number of uh, sexist remarks and, uh, also, and, and racist-type remarks. Um, and I don't believe that those types of attitudes are appropriate at all, you know, in a community. A big part of his agenda was really against public employees. He was always denigrating public employees as, you know, being some sort of uh, self-serving, uh, you know, not do nothing at work and just collect a big paycheck with good benefits. And after having been a public employee for a number of years um, and knowing the dedication in so many, I didn't appreciate what he was uh, trying to do on that specific agenda. Um, and 
I didn't like his mode of operation at all, and, and you know, just said, hey, we, we've got to change this. All right, let's get to the drama then, Carl. Election day. So you wake up. I want walk us through what that day was like for you. You had built up this whole campaign. It comes down to this. Tell us what you did that day. Walk us through sort of hour by hour how it went for you. Well, I said uh, I got up and hugged my wife and said, I think we've done all we can do. Um, and now it's just the time for the voters to, uh, you know, make their choices. And we went down to the polling place and we voted and uh, got a very warm reception at the polling place, um, which was nice. And uh, we went off and had lunch, uh, pretty well just relaxed uh, for most of the day, and then went to the, um, the Westmark Hotel where they have the results coming in uh, live from Juneau as they're counting votes official tallies. The evening started out um, not very good, actually. And the returns were coming in, and I was way behind. And I was actually quite surprised that I was so far behind. But I, you know, I, it, it is what it is. And I reminded people that we don't know what precincts they're counting first here within the district. So as the evening progressed, um, it was sort of funny actually, a few people disappeared from the table as the numbers were. I was down 17%, which was, is huge, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, some of the some of the folks from the table went elsewhere um, and and mingled to see what was going on in other races and, and whatever. And um, I looked over; my opponent was on the far side of the room, and there was huge celebration going on over there, um, and smiles and extra drinks coming to the table. So they were enjoying themselves, and you know, I said, "Well, they." They should. At this point in, in the game, it really looked like he was going to win. And my wife was incredibly discouraged um, at that point. And I said, hey, I said, uh, you know, the night's not over, number one. And number two, uh, you know, if we pull this a little closer, we'll, we'll have accomplished, you know, part of our mission that, you know, at least I'm a viable candidate, and this campaign has brought out that there are a lot of people in this town that don't like the way he operates. As the evening wore on, every time new numbers came in, the percentage pulled closer and closer and closer, and the numbers um, kept getting closer as the night wore on. By the end of the evening, um, he still had a lead, but it was very small. It was 100, 117 votes, I think, um, lead. And we expected that the, uh, because that did not include any of the early and absent,
absentee uh, ballots, those historically in our town lean very far to the left, and would we would expect it, those to favor me. Uh, so that 117 number was anything far from uh, a safe number for him at that point. And as the night wore on, was the uh, were you just sort of occasionally peeking over at your opponent's table to see if the smug grins were disappearing from their faces? <laughs> um, I looked over on occasion, but I, it, it didn't really dominate uh, the evening. You ever talk, did you evening, talk to your opponent yeah, that night? Did talk? I did. Uh, not during the evening, but at the end of the evening, I got up and he was leaving, uh, and I noticed his group was breaking up, and so I walked over uh, to him as he was heading for the door, and I stopped, and um, he didn't really say anything to me. <laughs> he just kind of stood there, and I thanked him. I said, um, you know, I want to thank you for a good campaign. I think we both gave it a good shot, and I'm thankful that you ran a clean campaign, and I you know, respect you for that. And I said, you got a little bit of a lead um, here going here, so you know that's got to make you feel um, a little bit comfortable. I said, but, you know, we got more votes to count, and, and I haven't given up yet, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, and uh, I wish you well. And uh, I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, and he just uh, he shook my hand, and he really didn't say much. He said something like "okay" or whatever, um, and out the door he went. <laughs> Amazing. So it's midnight, election night. You're leaving the table. You about you're down about 117 points, right? Some votes, something like that. Yeah, hard votes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's say your confidence level on one to ten, one being incredibly pessimistic, ten being really, really optimistic about winning this thing. Where were you? I think I was a five. I was I was right in the middle. Um, I wanted to be more optimistic because I was confident that the absentee votes would favor me, um, but 117 is, was a big enough number, and... I had been behind all night, so I didn't think that that was uh, close enough to to really uh, give me any level of confidence at all. So I just said, wow, I'm going to have to go home and try to go to sleep. And <laughs> did you sleep that <laughs> night? Uh, I did sleep, yeah. Was um, it good sleep? You know, um, yeah, actually, I think it was, <laughs> because there was nothing I could do at that point. And I'm a realist, so I said, you know, hey, um, there's nothing I can do. The votes have been cast. They are what they are. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
are, and we'll find out what they are at some point in time in the future. And what was your wife's mood at this time? Because she had started out really devastated, and, and now you're that close. What was she feeling at that point? <laughs> well, she's a little more emotional than I am, and, and so uh, she was having a hard time not knowing, and she was very frustrated and saying, you know, I don't know that I could do this again. You know, like go through an election process again. Um, she said, I hate this. She was very wound up. And she said, I just want a decision, you know, one way or the other. But to not know and to be so much on the fence here and so close, she said, like, it's driving me insane. And I don't think she slept very well. <laughs> Alright, so after the night of the election, Castle, his wife, and his campaign staff waited. And they waited. And they waited, as election officials counted early votes and absentee ballots. Now, the weeks went by, the margin became incredibly close. We got a phone call, and we got the... uh the number that we were one vote, uh, we were lo- we were losing by one vote, and so <laughs> at that point we said, "Wow, um, obviously they're going to do a recount." The way the law is in Alaska, if it is within um, a certain percentage, it's like within one percent. Uh, difference that state has to do a recount and, and they pay for it. If it's like, if it's more than that, I can ask for a recount uh, and the state will do it if it's less than 2 or 3%. And above that, if uh, you want a recount, you have to pay for it. And so we said, obviously, this is close enough, the state will, will recount these uh, ballots. Carl, does your mentality change at this point? I mean, you've you've been spending an election fighting for votes, obviously, and now you're literally fighting for votes. I mean, do you become, you know, a little bit more hardened? Is it a little bit more intense? How? What's the mindset like when you have to shift to this, this close of an election? Well. I told my campaign manager, let's be damn sure that they count these right and that there's no playing around because, I mean, you know, throwing one ballot on the floor can make a difference at this point. So um, I said, you know, let's just make damn sure that everything gets counted properly. And so we were staying on top of that, what was going on with the um, at the election office. Um, but... I don't know if I if I got hardened about anything uh, or not. I felt on on one hand I was disappointed I was losing by one vote. On the other hand, um, I had made a huge huge statement. Now I read an article um, when we were doing research for this that there was a point in time where you were actually up. Now I might might have read this wrong, but you were up and then. It was determined that three signatures had to be discounted. Uh, you were up by two, and then three signatures had to be counted, and you were down by one again. Do you recall this? What happened 
now we're cleaning to December that still hasn't been decided. And I went to Minnesota with my son and, and my wife for a hockey tournament. He was a, a hockey player in the competitive league. And so we went down there um, with him for a hockey tournament. And I got a call from Gail Fanumiai, the director for elections, and she said, okay, we did the recount. Um, we've got everything in and all the question ballots are done, yada, 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 and you won by two votes. And I said, oh, how diggity, you know? And, and so this was the, this was, it's all said and done now, finally, after a month of, of this finagling and, and questions and, and frustration and dragging on and on. Um, it is over now. It's all final. We won by two votes. All right. And it was hard to really celebrate because we're in Minnesota with a youth hockey team. You know, my kid was uh, 12 at the time, I think, something like that. So, you know, we're here with a few parents from the team and, and all these kids. Um, so we said, you know, we'll celebrate when we get back to uh, Fairbanks. And I said, uh, I'll, it, it was kind of late, and I didn't want to call anybody um, up here at that point. I said, well, uh, and we were leaving the next day to come back here. So I said, well, you know, we'll call people and, and take care of business when we get back to town. So we really didn't have much time to celebrate or do anything. We told a few of the kids on the hockey team we won because they were curious. They kept asking. And we said, yeah, it's all done. We won by two votes. So then, like, two and a half hours later, my phone rings again. And I answer it. And it's Gail Fanumiai. And she says, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we forgot to count a box of ballots that were over in the side of the room. And uh, when we counted those, you didn't win by a couple votes. You lost. And I said, wait a second. You know, and she apologized profusely and said, really, this is what happened. And we just... We, when we were doing the recount, this box got pushed over. We thought we had counted it, and we have quadruple checked, and we didn't count it. And now that we have, um, you lost. By how many? Um, I think it was two. Well, I take that back. It was four. Yeah. But there were a couple question ballots that we totally disagreed with. I mean, it was insane that they gave them uh, to my opponent. Um, if I and, if I'm remembering correctly, it was three ballots specifically that you disagreed with. Which, had they been overturned, you would have given you the victory. There were three that um, I got copies of that came back that that my campaign manager questioned and were worth questioning. He felt, um, but really there was uh, they weren't all worth questioning. Well, I wanted to ask that, Carl. Why, at some point, you decided that you weren't going to press any further, uh, that that was the result, and that was going to be it, regardless of whether you quibbled with some of the signatures or the ballots or not. Uh, how did you get to that decision? Well, I, I, when I looked at the ballots that we had the potential of questioning, and, and I said, you know, in good faith, I, I, there were some that I couldn't question, um, and I wasn't going to push it because I felt I agreed with their decision. And so 
I looked at it and I said, we lost by two votes, guys. I mean, we did. You know, here's, in my mind, you know, they say four, I say two. It's irrelevant whether it's four or it's two. Um, we still lost. So when you were in Minnesota at the hockey tournament and you get the phone call, um, and, and the phone call saying that you've actually lost by a couple votes, what did you then tell your wife and child and the other team members? Because you had just been sort of celebrating with them just in a quiet way, and now you had to break the news to them. What was that, what was that like for you and for them? Uh, well, it was a little bit of disbelief for all of us, and, and that's exactly what I said. So you're not going to believe this, but I just got another phone call, and uh, we, we lost. And I said, we'll have to check and see, but it looks like it is over. It will probably stand. And I called my campaign manager and talked to him, and he confirmed that he had quadruple-checked also that this box wasn't um, counted twice or whatever. And uh, he said the count's legitimate, and he told me there are some question uh, ballots here that we can look at, but he even agreed. He said there's one in particular that is clearly um, they made a mistake on, and there's a, a couple others that potentially we could um, file a complaint on. And I said, well, I'll be back in town tomorrow, and, and we'll look at them. But he even acknowledged that while you know they were questionable, we probably wouldn't prevail um, if we protested them. So um, you know, I, I told the people there that it looks like it's over and we lost. Did any friends or family ever come up to you later and say, you know, I, I forgot to vote? No. I never did get anyone that acknowledged that they forgot to vote for me or didn't vote or whatever. I'm sure there are some out there, but um, I, nobody actually uh, came and told me that. Your wife had been going through this whole saga with you. She was devastated the night of the election. This must have been doubly hard. It was hard. It was hard on all of us. And, and I think I felt the worst for the people who dedicated the, the, their time to work on the campaign. I mean, it's very humbling to have people volunteer their personal time to work for you as a candidate, um, not getting paid or, or anything in return for this, but they're just working for you. And, yeah, they're working for the community, too. But um, when I lost, I felt like I let them down. that I should have done more. I should have knocked on one more door. I should have written one more letter or, you know, two votes, please. You know, you could think of a thousand ways to make up two votes. And, you know, I, I felt like I had really let down these people who had worked so hard. You mentioned there's like a, a hundred things you sort of relived just to get, you know, two more votes. Uh, when you look back now, is there one thing in particular that stands out that you wish you could have done differently? Um, I, I'm not a politician. I'm, and my wife's always telling people I'm not a politician. Uh, and I have a hard time just glad-handing 
uh, I like to stick with the facts and be real, and I don't like to talk about the weather or whatnot and just chit-chat. Let's do something constructive. And so I have a huge uh, difficulty with, like, just walking door to door and knocking on people's doors and, and smiling and shaking their hand and um, what they affectionately call kissing babies, I guess. I'm not a baby kisser. <laughs> um, and so... I think that was probably the weak part of my campaign, um, and I think uh, my campaign manager told me frequently you need to knock on more doors, and I did some of that, but I, I probably didn't do enough of that, and it is an effective tool uh, to use. It does get votes, uh, but it just isn't my style. And no one, so, no one ever came up to you after the fact and said... Carl, man, I, I just read you lost by two votes. I was totally going to vote for you, but I, you know, got pizza instead. <laughs> Not one person. Not yeah. one person. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think if I had been a person in that position, it would be tough to come up and say, hey, I'm the guy who lost the election for you, you know. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I would be a little intimidated to go if, if that shoe was on my foot. I read somewhere, I read somewhere that it's uh, if you had ended up tied, uh, they would have flipped a coin. Is that right? <laughs> that's true in Alaska. That's true. Would you have chosen heads or tails? <laughs> I don't know if I would have gotten the opportunity to call it. I probably would have picked heads. I tend to be positive. <laughs> okay. Let's end on one sort of broad question, which is you know the notion that every vote matters, right? You know, it's sort of a quaint thing, but like in your case, it literally was true right absolutely and we have used this tool and the media in alaska has used my election uh or my non-election as a tool um it's really gotten a lot of mileage that every vote counts uh, my son learned a huge lesson and, and has repeated it to the kids at school that think voting's not important with losing i still feel like an awful lot was accomplished with our campaign it has shown the state they need to get out and vote and it, it did actually um have a significant effect um <laughs> i don't know if i should tell you the story or not um, you should <laughs> so um after the election and before things are finalized now we're in the we're in november the parties travel um and get together in Anchorage, usually. It's the most populated part of the state. So they travel to Anchorage, and they caucus and set up the organization for their parties with their newly elected people and do committee assignments and all of those sorts of things. And so um, it just happens, because there aren't a lot of planes uh, and we had tight schedules, that both the Democrats and the Republicans were leaving Fairbanks at the same time to go down to Anchorage for these meetings, um, separate meetings, obviously. And I had been invited to the Democratic organizing meeting because uh, they didn't know if I was going to be elected or not, and it was so close they wanted me to be part of the organization. Um, and the same with my opponent. He um, was going down there even though they didn't know for sure, but, you know, <laughs> that he was going to win. So anyway, um, we're all at the airport, and I went in the men's room, and I was in a stall in the men's room, and 
several Republicans came in with my opponent, and they didn't know I was there, and they were lined up at the urinals in the restroom while I was being very quiet um, in the <laughs> stall. And they were talking and jabbing my opponent about, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to clean up in this race and everything. And now they were calling him One Vote Kelly, <laughs> and which was very irritating to him, I'm sure. They were talking to him about how this was going to affect the organization of the Republican um, caucus down in, in Juneau because they didn't know about, you know, what seat assignments he could get because they didn't know if he was going to be there or not. Um, and so it was uh, it was an interesting dynamic. They all left, uh, and I stayed very quiet, so they didn't know I was eavesdropping. To this day, I don't think they know I was there um, listening to the discussion. And he's no longer in office, right? Yeah, the next time he ran for re-election, he was beaten. Was yeah. there a bit of, did that make you feel good? Um, it did. That was Carl Castle, who suffered one of the closest losses in electoral history. But it wasn't all bad news for Carl. In the fall of 2015, he was elected mayor of the city of Fairbanks, an office that he holds currently. As always, a big thanks to Christine Canetta, the editor of this podcast. And you can find Candidate Confessional on iTunes and on HuffingtonPost.com. Tell your friends, tell your family. Next week, we bring you John Huntsman, the former governor of Utah, who, in 2012, ran unsuccessfully for the presidency of the United States. Till then, happy trails. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.